I think everyone should do an apprenticeship. Oh. Even it doesn't matter what you want to do. If you're if you want to be a doctor, you're going to work with experienced doctors. If sure. you want to be a you know an architect, you're going to work with experienced architects. You're going to be around people who have done ten times more than you have done. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of young people. They think they've got no time, but they would save themselves so much time if they did two 100%. years working for a, for a mentor. There's this something about when you you become like the people that you are mentored by. Mm -hmm. So start with that. The Alpha Talks podcast crafts you and your business into an alpha, not for the faint-hearted. I am Sefer Hakim, serial entrepreneur and your success mentor, founder of the Alpha Movement, and people call me the Alpha. And that's for a reason, of course. With 20 plus years of experience, and eight figures portfolio of businesses. Myself and the show guests will be striking thunder of top-notch listening in business and mindset. No bull, just first-class value, not like others. So join us now to become your own version of an alpha. Welcome back, Alphas, to a new inspiring episode of the Alpha Talks podcast. Today in the studio, I've got a very special alpha for you today. Today, we have the privilege of hosting a true luminary in the business realm, a globally recognized entrepreneur, best-selling author, and a co-founder of Dent Global, Daniel Christley. Daniel is not just a successful entrepreneur. He's a trailblazer who has built businesses across continents, leaving a mark on the business of the world of business acceleration. As the co-founder of Dent Global, one of the world's top business accelerators, Daniel has played a pivotal role in empowering entrepreneurs and of course leaders not only to stand out in their industries, but also scale up their ventures to unprecedented heights. With offices in London, Sydney, Singapore, Dent Global is endorsed by the Institute of Leadership and Management, attracting over 500 entrepreneurs annually who benefit from high net worth mentors and transformative business development programs. But Daniel isn't just known for his entrepreneurial prowess. He's a prolific author, having penned four best-selling books, Key Person of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, Oversubscribed, and 24 Asset. His insights have earned him a place among the top 10 business advisors in the UK by Enterprise Nation and recognition as one of the top 25 entrepreneurs in London in the Smith & Williamson Power 100 Awards. Today, Daniel will share his wealth of knowledge on topics ranging from entrepreneurial mindset and an impact of AI on the society to sales in the digital age and art of creating content that stands out, stands the test of time. So without further ado, let's welcome Daniel to the Alpha Talks podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much. My cheeks are blushing with that introduction. That's to be nice. honest, <laughs> I just cut it more. <laughs> it's just Wikipedia page. Boom. <laughs> Thank you for ha uh, having you today. I appreciate it. Daniel, let's say somebody will see the podcast once we publish it. He will see the, the thumbnail, the title, and will think it's super interesting to watch. What can we promise them to gain when they watch? So let's talk about today the importance of building a business in a very strategic way. Because 100 years ago, if you wanted to create an airplane, nobody knew the principles that made an airplane take off. They didn't understand exactly why. They knew it was possible, but mm -hmm. they didn't know exactly how airplanes fly. But then they documented all the principles, and now today we can predictably make airplanes take off. And sure. Now, where we are with business and entrepreneurship is that most people know they want to have a business that takes off, 
but they don't know the exact principles and the exact steps that make a business take off. Mm-hmm. So if today we cover some of those key principles, then we're going to get a lot done. I'm sure I'm going to, myself, I'm going to gain a lot of knowledge from this episode. So I'm sure you guys will. So starting, can you tell us who's Daniel from your perspective? So I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and an author. As a kid, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. When I was a teenager, I worked at McDonald's. I used to look up to the guy who owned the McDonald's. I loved the McDonald's systems. Mm-hmm. And I started reading business books and reading business magazines. And I thought to myself, this is what I want. I want to be one of these entrepreneurs from a very young age. I started running businesses in my teenage years, nightclub parties, flowers, selling flowers door to door, all these mm-hmm. kind of things. So you never worked a corporate job? Never had a corporate job, no. Um, I've always been in entrepreneurship and startup. So yeah, over the last 22, 23 years, I've built and sold several different businesses. I've had services businesses. I've had tech businesses. I've bought distressed companies, turned them around and sold them. I've bought good companies and made them even more successful. I've started several different businesses that have gone uh, north of 10 million in value. Mm-hmm. So from starting businesses, scaling businesses, grouping and rolling up businesses, I've, I've done all of wow. those things. I have a question, but that doesn't mean you're old, okay? Because even if I'm going back to my young self, if I go back to my beginnings, being an entrepreneur at that time wasn't something flashy like today. No, we didn't even have the word. Exactly. Or if you act as an entrepreneur, people think, mm, like, go find a job. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you? There was a book called The E-Myth yeah. when I was about 15, 16. So I'm 42 now. Yeah. So that happened. There was also this, in Australia, there was this list called the BRW 200, uh, which was the 200, like the Forbes 400. Yeah. And what I found, I, I was naughty kid at school and they made me clean out this cupboard full of all this trash. And one of the magazines was this BRW 200. Mm-hmm. And I started reading it while I was meant to be cleaning. And I found this guy who was like 38 and he owned all the CD music shops and he also owned this fashion brand. And I'm like, this guy's mm-hmm. awesome. And I started reading through his story and I went, wow, this guy, he's in his 30s and he's made 200 million. And, and I, just, I just felt drawn, like something lit mm-hmm. up inside me. I got talking to my, the owner of my McDonald's at a Christmas party and he explained to me how he owned six McDonald's didn't have to work in the McDonald's. He was the owner and the systems do the work mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So my head was just exploding with these ideas that you could own businesses. I, I don't know why. I just loved it. And there wasn't a big word called entrepreneur at the time. At we just called a business owner. Yeah. So I just wanted to be a business owner. I want to do startups and start businesses and grow businesses. What was your first, first business? The first proper business was nightclub parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was 18 years old mm-hmm. and I worked with the local radio station, the local McDonald's and the local nightclubs. And we put together a, a package deal mm-hmm. and I ended up, was 18, like 18 and I ran these huge parties and we would do about six parties a year, make, make about $10,000 in a night, yeah. which at 18 is a lot of money, True. right? And it's all cash. like mm-hmm. holding literally holding yeah. big things again. and we'd do fashion parades and we'd have like all this cool stuff going on mm-hmm. so it was so cool it was so But great why the pivot came because nightlife night business nightclubs it takes a different route than where you're in now <laughs> so um when i was 19 i dropped out of university and i got a mentor And uh, this guy was 37, I was 19, and he was starting a new business. He'd already been successful in business. He had a beautiful big house, lovely family, three kids. And I went to his house and 
it was the biggest house I'd ever walked into, right? So I'd never been in a big house before and yeah. I walked into this house and when I knocked on the door, I knew whoever opens that door, I'm going to work for them. I'm going to, I got the opportunity through a friend to meet this mm -hmm. guy and I thought, I'm going to work for this guy. This is going to be great. So I got, I, I went in and I, I was meant to have a 30 minute meeting. We talked for three hours mm -hmm. and at the end of three hours, he said, look, you're going to come work for me. I'm going to give you all sorts of weird jobs to do you're going to help me with all sorts of things that i need and we're going to get this business started and i was employee number three or something like that he was putting together three or four people two years later we had 60 people mm -hmm. so i had the experience from 19 to 21 of what a fast growth startup looks wow. like and that's you know a lot of people say how did you start a business so young so early yeah it's because i went i went through it for two years with john and then I, I was right under his wing the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then I just went and continued the momentum with my... I, I love this thing because this, if I take the message from what you said now, it means like if I, if I come to you as a young safe and I tell you I want to be an entrepreneur, you will push me back and say, safe, go work with an entrepreneur, understand what they do, then... I think everyone should do an apprenticeship. Yeah. Even it doesn't matter what you want to do. If you're if you want to be a doctor, you're going to work with experienced doctors. If you want to be a you know an architect, you're going to work with experienced architects. You're going to be around people who have done ten times more than you have done. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of young people. They think they've got no time, but they would save themselves so much time if they did two years working for a, for a mentor. True. I, I once I once got to go to the snow skiing with this guy who had built ten million pound company. 10 million euro company and and you know incredible story mm -hmm. but guess what he did before that he worked closely with larry ellison Oof. right so he, ah. he he worked for a billionaire multi-multi-billionaire and he did two or three years working for directly and closely with this this larry ellison and then he went off and started his own company so there's this something about when you you become like the people that you are mentored by mm -hmm. so start with that another question from this how did you make that guy, your mentor, accept you to become his mentee? Because that's, we see a lot of people, we, there are our uh, role models, but it's hard to get in touch with them. What value do you provide? Well, the mentoring happens on the side, but you have to be working together on a project. So think about like um, a doctor, mm -hmm. a senior doctor who's got 20 years experience and a junior doctor who's just starting out. It's not that he says, can, I, can you mentor me? Mm -hmm. It's let's work together in the hospital saving lives. And then the I'm going to learn. And sometimes I'm going to say, why did you do it that way? And he's mm -hmm. going to say, I did it that way because of this. And you're going to pick stuff up. One thing I see as a mistake is someone says to me all the time, oh, can you mentor me? Mm -hmm. And they want me to go out of my way True. to mm -hmm. teach someone so they can go and build their business. 100%. And that, I wish I could. Mm -hmm. But like what's Capacity in it? Bandwidth. Yeah, and yeah. also what's in it for yeah. me? So I've had probably 12 young people who have come and worked for me for a couple of years mm -hmm. and ended up going and building a seven-figure business. Mm -hmm. one, one of my uh, two young guys who worked on my sales team, they did two years. They then left and then they started a business. They just sold it for seven million US. Um, and they're still in their mid-20s, early 20s, like mid to late 20s. Now... They didn't ask me to be a mentor. Mm -hmm. They joined my team. Uh-huh. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, mentoring happened. During. Uh, exactly. While they worked their ass off. Yeah. So how do you get a mentor? You don't ask for a mentor. You say, can I come and work my ass off for you? 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can I come? A very lovely tweak to it, 100%. Yeah. yeah, can I come and make sales? Can I do your marketing? Can I, basically, the, the attitude that I had is that the money that I get paid is just a bonus. Mm-hmm. I don't care, like, provided I can eat, I, I just wanna be in and around the circle. I don't want someone, I didn't want John to take time out to mentor me. Mm-hmm. I just worked and worked and worked. I mm-hmm. worked every hour. If he needed me to drop him at the airport, I drop him at the airport. If he wants me to lick stamps and put them on envelopes we'll and send them, I'll, I'll do that. If you remember John, and of course you do, what will be the greatest lesson? Biggest lesson was um, everything is downstream from lead generation. So he was, very, he was very, very good at understanding that a business becomes successful because it is good at generating demand, not supply. Right mm-hmm. now, supply obviously, obviously, yeah. what you do is important. Mm-hmm. But most entrepreneurs they start a business thinking about the supply side of what they do. Create this product. Create this we'll thing, create the product. Da, da, da. We're going to build this amazing technology. We're going to do this, and then when it doesn't work, they go back to the supply. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe we need to put a a, a button on it. Maybe we sure. need to do this. Maybe we need. So they're just focusing on building the thing. So you know, imagine that my business is building the tigers. The tigers, right? <laughs> And all I think about is, oh, maybe I need to make it a little bit better. You know, maybe I didn't paint it properly. Maybe I need to do a silver, gold, bronze one, True. right? So I'm focusing on this. But the real business is actually making people want to buy it in the first place. True. So John said a saying, which was, everything is downstream from lead generation. If you can't generate the leads, you don't have a business. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you generate the leads, you can solve all the other problems. But if you solve all the other problems, but you can't generate the leads, you don't have a business. True. So True. he would always start with lead generation. So when we would launch campaigns and products and, and that, we would not focus too heavily on the supply side. We would run signaling campaigns where people say that they're interested. We'd do things like waiting lists. We'd do events, mm-hmm. right? Basically getting people to say, yes, I want, I want this. Filling in forms, filling in surveys. So generating the demand, uh, everything is lead generation first. I love this because there are a lot of people uh, online now where we, they talk about they don't even prepare the product or the service unless they see a proper demand. That's so it. they create the demand first and then they do the product that's or the ha- course. Or, that's or, how the professional entrepreneurs do it. Let's take the, the most successful entrepreneur on mm, the planet, Elon Musk. Uh-huh. Does he build a million Cybertrucks and then try and sell them? No. Does he make a million people want a Cybertruck and then try and build them? Yes. True. Right. So three years ago, he did the whole waiting list for the Cybertruck and he had a million people put down a deposit to get a Cybertruck, Correct. knowing that it would be three years down the track. So the best way, here's, here's the best ways to launch a business. Launch a waiting list. Mm-hmm. Just, just launch, don't start a company. Yeah. Don't, don't set up a bank account. Don't sit there with a the technology team. Just launch a waiting list. And then, so like, that's a great one. A launch event, have an event where people can, online, where people can just, yeah, Zoom, and people can signal that they want to uh, know more. Um, Launch a white paper. Uh, Launch a discussion group on WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. Um, A discussion group is a great way to launch a business. So let's say I want to be a a fitness coach, right? So I do a weight loss for men discussion group, Mm -hmm. right? Weight loss for dads. Right, so I create a WhatsApp discussion group called Weight Loss for Dads, and then I just go around and I invite people to my discussion group. If I can get 400 dads who want to join the Weight Loss for Dads, now I've got the makings of a business because I've got 400 people who know that I've got 400 people, and then I say, look, I can take on five clients, and then fill in this application. 
to be one of my clients. So start from the lead, start from start the from demand the rather yeah. than... Yeah, yeah, Wow, I love that. Yeah, online scorecards are another one. Mm. Amazing. So having an online survey, an online scorecard or assessment, if you can get 100 people a month filling that in, then you know you've got a business. True. And you don't need a bank account for this. You don't need... You can do this if you're a full-time employee and you're just testing the market. If you've got demand, now think about supply. Wow, I love that. You have a book called Key person of influence and you talked about the importance of becoming a significant person in your industry why is mm. that well it's not just even now mm. for all of time the way all industries work is three layers newbies mm-hmm. worker bees and key people of influence so the newbies are the people who are just entering the industry the worker bees are the ones who are very skilled and they know what they're doing and they, mm-hmm. they, they do the work and then the key people of influence are the ones who are holding everything in place just by being there Okay. Right? So they don't have mm-hmm. to do the work. They're just, they are known, they're liked, they're trusted. Their names come up in conversation. They're the person who gets the phone call when something happens. So take a big accounting firm like uh, KPMG mm-hmm. or EY. You've got partners. Yes. So the partners, there's about 700 partners in the UK for each of those firms. Then they've got about 12,000 people who do the work. And then they've got new graduates mm-hmm. and new recruits. So the goal is to be the key person of influence. Mm-hmm. But all industries work exactly the same. True. So when you're a key person of influence, you've got enough of a name and a brand and a reputation for people to come to you with opportunities. They want to fund you. They want to do joint ventures and partnerships with you. So what I'm explaining in that book is that that success is not doing more work because that's just the worker bee layer. Mm -hmm. At some point in your career, you have to make a transition to say, I'm not doing more work. I'm building a bigger brand. Okay. Right. If I talk about being a KPI, mm-hmm. is there a process that people have to pass through? Yes. So I break it down into five steps. Mm-hmm. The key person of influence is primarily the person who pitches the ideas. The big ideas get pitched by the key person of influence. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs pitching why you need an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk pitching why you need an electric car. True. Right. So the key people of influence have to have a big pitch. They've got to be the one who explains the idea. They have to... They have to enroll people into the mm-hmm. excitement, right? So they are the masters of getting you to think differently. Okay. Right? So the generics, kind of. Yeah. So everyone has to work on their pitching skills. So if anyone's listening, if you're good at doing the work, but you're not good at pitching the work, you've got to make that shift, uh-huh. right? Correct. So if, let's say you're in a meeting and they ask you to speak up and they say, oh, why should this client... Um, do this, you need to be prepared for that and say, let me enroll this client, get them excited, right? So now that's a a skill anyone can learn. Everyone Mm -hmm. can learn the pitching skills. And we have to learn pitching skills because the workers don't pitch, the key people of influence pitch, Mm -hmm. right? So the first one is pitching. Publishing. Publishing just means putting things in public domain. So publishing podcasts, videos, a book. You've got a book Mm -hmm. coming out, Yeah. right? So having the book, having the having the blogs, having the articles. Look, you know, every key, pe- key person I know, they put at least two, three things on LinkedIn every week, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Even if they've got someone on their team who sure. helps them. Mm-hmm. And then I get all these people who are, who are stuck financially, stuck in their career. They go, oh, you know, I'm stuck. And I go, how often do you publish on LinkedIn? Oh, never. Mm-hmm. Well, well, why not? Oh, well, I don't know what to say. We'll figure it out. <laughs> like start, start <laughs> sure. publishing. They go, but no one will pay any attention. Well, then it doesn't matter. To making publishing, you're saying publishing on any platform. Yeah, ideally you want to start publishing articles and blogs, Mm -hmm. then podcasts and videos, 
and then a book. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then the third thing, key people of influence are the ones who have what we call the products, the product ecosystem. So the product ecosystem is you can't make your money by selling your time. You have to move to selling, making money by selling products. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, when I walk in your office, you've got the you know, 20 different companies mm-hmm. that you own. All of those companies have got products. You and I can be sitting here talking while your businesses have their doors open and sure. they're making money. So you're not selling your time, you're selling the products. Mm-hmm. So the big shift for someone who's not a key person of influence, one of the ways you know you're not a key person of influence is you sell your time. Mm-hmm. Now, key people of influence, oh, okay. occasionally they sell time. They might do a speaking fee or a, you know, mm-hmm. a brand deal or something like that, but it's not really their time. It's their involvement that they're selling. They're selling mm-hmm. the fact that they're involved. But most of their money comes from products and services mm-hmm. um, that, that they don't, it's not their time. The next step is that they have a profile. If I Google somebody, I can tell within five minutes if this is a key person of influence or if this is a worker. Uh-huh. So a worker is going to have a boring little Instagram account with 100 followers, mm-hmm. a boring little LinkedIn profile. Sure. And, and when I look at their Twitter account or I look at their Instagram, they're not inspiring people with what they want them to do. Mm-hmm. They're saying, oh, you know, I went to the shops today and I bought this and I did this. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, and it's just this kind of like, it's, it's, there's nothing to it, right? Mm-hmm. Unless I'm the grandma, True. why am I watching, right? True. The Google speaks. Yes. Yeah. So we've got to have a good Google profile. When someone Googles you, it's got to look, you've got to look the, the part. And then the final one is that the key people of influence are the ones who do the partnerships. They bring the partners together. So one, deal maker kind of? They're or, deal makers, uh, they're partners, they're joint ventures. So when a key person of influence wants to launch a new business, they don't do all the work, but what they do is they host a dinner. And they mm-hmm. say, I'm going to bring together all the marketing partners around the table and I'm going to let them know that we're launching something new and you can get involved. When they want to, ra- when they want to scale a business, they go, okay, we're going to need a couple of million. I'm going to bring together investors. Right? Mm-hmm. So they'll bring in some investors. Um, when they want to um, you know, improve their product, they don't actually just do everything themselves. They go to other companies and say, hey, can we package in your product? Can we package? Ah, can we okay. pa- can we do a package deal? Mm-hmm. Right. We want to bring your software together. We want to put your uh, training materials in here. We mm-hmm. want to put you, your content. Right. So they package things together. So they're the ones who actually bring mm-hmm. together the packages. Um, so, so pitch, publish, products, profile, and partnership. Those are the big five, five things five. that key people of influence do. If people are w- watching us now and they say, "Okay, how long for a good person, a person who puts the effort and time?" Mm. How long does it take a person to become a KPI? It depends on how much you've achieved in the last 10, 15 years. Oh, so okay. now let's say, let's say you work at Accenture and you've been working on, with big brands. You've done some work with LVMH. You've mm. done some work with BMW. You've done some work with Google. And you've been consulting in all those places. You've had your hands on bigger budgets and mm. bigger brands it's going to be very easy to become a key person of influence okay. in 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so 12 months of making the shift and you're going to see people coming flooding in. Um, if you're a 20-year-old who hasn't achieved mm-hmm. anything yet, you're better off actually working underneath a key person of influence and being a number two or a number three. To build the credibility. To, to, to get under mm-hmm. their wing, get in their orbit, and that way you're going to be able to 
in many ways, right on the coattails for two or three years, mm-hmm. building your skills, building your brand, building your story. And then you can take all of that and turn it into a key person of influence. So I would say if you're starting out, you do need to do the work. You just oh, right you, you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta put in some time mm-hmm. and you not only you need to do the work you're better off doing the work you're better off being in the orbit true yeah, right true. be a number be a number two dent group supports people to become kpi or that's we what? do so one of our programs is yeah. the key person of influence accelerator mm-hmm. but part of getting on the program is you have to Uh, have 15 years experience oh really yeah so uh, to the majority of the kind of say the average age of our that. clients are in their 40s and up um and they're all people who have got 15 years experience in their industry they've won awards they've done or they've worked on award-winning projects they're standing on a mountain of value but they haven't spotted how to turn mm-hmm. that into more okay. right they're too close to their story if if you look at people now in the world and would say like if i tell you like namely top three in your mind who are really kpi like top key oh yeah from your standpoint so it's normally like the 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 king of all the kpis is richard branson Mm -hmm. i think right richard richard branson is he has 150 different brands uh or businesses everyone just wants to partner with him because of who he is he's written the books Mm -hmm. so he publishes amazing books um he gets all of his thinking out he writes articles and he, he he's out there He's got an amazing profile. Mm-hmm. Like if you Google him, he's all he's in he's always in a newspaper every week. True. Um he's the master of putting partnerships together. He brings together the money and he like, you know, um all of that. Um I have a story, sorry to interrupt. A couple of couple of years back, I had a, an interview on uh, Egyptian national TV. And the the lady was asking me who's the person that inspires you the most. So I said Richard Branson, of course. And I got a call afterwards from my father. So like, what the hell is <laughs> like? You should like, you I'm your father. father. You kill me <laughs> right 100%, now. But 100%. Say, say, father, where is your airline? Exactly. <laughs> Who's virgin? Yeah. Uh, okay. We're in Dubai right now. Mm-hmm. Sheikh Mohammed. Sheikh Mohammed, he, he stood 50 years ago and said, this is going to be a global head of commerce. This is going to be a, a central region in the world. This is going to rival Singapore. It's going to rival. It's going to be a major mm-hmm. commer- commercial. He pitched it. He pitched an idea that nobody could see. True. Right? He has written some incredible business books. Most yes. people don't realize this, but he's actually written all the... You go to the airport yeah, and he's got amazing books. True. Right? So he takes his thinking, he puts it out there. Mm-hmm. He has brought together the partnerships in the region. Right? So he's taken essentially... A, a desert with very mm-hmm. limited natural resources and made it one of the most commercially powerhouse, successful true. powerhouse in the world. True. So, you know, I think of him as being probably the ultimate key person of mm-hmm. influence. True. Um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, he was born as a as a royal. But in this region, there were plenty of people exactly. born as royals who didn't mm-hmm. build one of the most successful mm-hmm. cities. And still there are, actually. You know? Yeah. yeah. True. So he's, you know, he's an amazing, he's an amazing man from that point. You have a, a very interesting vision of an entrepreneur. Okay, because a lot of people say entrepreneur, roll up your sleeves, do the work. You have a little bit of different angle. You, you said like entrepreneurs don't need to do the job. No. So you get people, job, mm. and you have the vision, you have yeah. connecting things. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit? I think that anything that you can outsource to somebody else, you should. You should build a team around you. Yeah. Having the right people around you is everything. Um, having a great team of people. There's no... great entrepreneur entrepreneurship is a team sport mm-hmm. if someone says i'm a great entrepreneur and, and i have no employees and no people on my team and i just only do everything myself sure. 
you go solo that's no mm-hmm. that's not that's not right every great entrepreneur has an amazing team of people around them like every sports person has an amazing team True. of people around them even people who play tennis have an amazing team of like physiotherapists and managers and and all these people who make them tick so entrepreneurs need to build teams and a, an entrepreneur needs to be the person who has the vision who enrolls people who mobilizes that talent who brings the confidence into the business with the money uh, so the investors are investing mm-hmm. they're kind of almost just holding it in place it's funny it's like think of paris you got the eiffel tower mm-hmm. but the eiffel tower doesn't actually do anything right? it doesn't even make any money like you can pay mm-hmm. pay 10, 10 euros to go mm-hmm. up the eiffel tower but not many people even do that but the eiffel tower sits in the middle of paris and then around all the cafes, the restaurants, the hotels, all of that, suddenly it all works. Mm-hmm. Now you take the Eiffel Tower away and suddenly, Collapse. oh, yeah, why do I even Correct. want to, right? So the entrepreneur's job is to be the Eiffel Tower that brings, that holds everything together mm-hmm. around. You talked about teams. How do you recruit teams? What are the kind of qualities that you look for in the region? Well, let's talk about the early days, yes. right? Because now that I've built successful companies i can use recruiting firms and i can hire people mm-hmm. with experience and i can afford them and all that sort of stuff so today most people if you're already at that level great mm-hmm. but here's what i look for can you breathe you have a pulse mm-hmm. heartbeat <laughs> right as simple as that huh? <laughs> right have you got some time yeah. the, at the very beginning of a business journey you have to work with the wrong people before you get a chance to work with the right people mm-hmm. it's you you must learn how to work with your cousin's mm. best friend, right? You, the next layer up, be like, so you got to start with like people who are, they're just unemployed, they don't have a job, right? They've just got a bit of time on their hands. Maybe like, for example, one of my first employees when I went to the UK, her fiance had been transferred to the UK. She didn't have a work visa. She wasn't allowed to work. Okay. So I just brought her onto the team and she just did work for me and I just paid her with cash, mm-hmm. right? Now that's yeah. that's what that's the kind of mm-hmm. thing that's a gold mine if you're an entrepreneur to get those first three to six months True. where you just say, look, let's sort something out. Mm-hmm. I right. Um the the issues like I've worked with people who I've worked with the neighbor's teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And so you bring someone yeah. together who can just help, just mm-hmm. do something, right? A little bit of help. The next level up is you steal people from McDonald's or Starbucks. Mm-hmm. McDonald's and Starbucks hire very good people, right? They're always middle to lower income families, but they're hardworking. They understand hospitality. You really mean these brands? Yeah. Ah, you really mean these brands. Okay. Restaurants, pubs, mm-hmm. McDonald's, Starbucks. You can get someone who is a McDonald's manager to run a multi-million dollar business, right? So mm-hmm. if, think about it. McDonald's is, a typical McDonald's does three, four million dollars a year. And it's run by a 24-year-old. And that 24-year-old is running a team of 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And it's a hard business. It's like early morning start, late mm-hmm. night. You know, you're, you're making hundreds or thousands of product sales a day. True. Right? It's, yeah. a, it's a tricky mm-hmm. business. Now, if that 24-year-old can run a multi-million dollar restaurant successfully, they're going to be able to come. True. They're going to run your business, right? So Starbucks, restaurants, pubs, cafes... If they've done anything like that, mm-hmm. it tells me something about them. It tells me that they're willing to work hard because everyone who works in a restaurant knows that it's going to be You're late nights. One. It's going to mm-hmm. be tough. It tells me that they like people, right? Because people who work in restaurants, cafes, 
they deal with difficult people and they deal with them with a smile and they make it they smooth it all over so if a drink spills sorry about that my fault let me sure. let me fix it they work systems right mm -hmm. so they know how to make sure that they do things the right way they are people who normally have a positive outlook and they take direction let's get on with it mm -hmm. and i love people who were they grew up in a middle to lower family mm -hmm. and they want to ambitiously well, work their way up the and hunger. grow. They've got the hunger. Mm -hmm. So for me, all of that tends to be people who work in cafes, restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, so my next level, beyond just working with anyone who can breathe, my next level is hospitality workers. I, uh -huh. I want to bring hospitality workers. And then my next level is people who've actually got skills. Like, okay. so skills. So that's the last. That's, that's where I start. So that's, the, that's where the business is starting to work. Most people want to start with people who've got the right skills. The people who've got the yeah. right skills, they don't want to work for you. True. That's why a lot of people say like hire for attitude mm -hmm. and train for skills. So you're mainly looking for attitude in the early stage. And you can also outsource the skills. So like, for example, you want to build a website, get someone on Upwork to do the True. website, um, but have the person on your team who's managing them. Mm -hmm. I love that. Daniel, anything for me is like a number, okay? And if we talk about teams, there is a particular threshold and while the person is growing a business, the number of team members can fuck up the business mm -hmm. in, in a way. So starting with two, three, four, then what kind of threshold exists a number that things can, can collapse? So the British military have put a lot of thought into this. Mm -hmm. And here's how the British military does its first teams. Two-person scout team. So these are people who are scouting an opportunity. They're scouting something. So they're just looking, right? Mm -hmm. Observing, right? That's two-person co-founders. They're just seeing if there's a good business here to be had. Four-person is a, what in the military is called a fire team. Fire team is they're getting something done. They're actually engaging mm -hmm. and they're, they're doing something. Eight-person is a section and that is a stable unit, right? So okay. that, that, is, that is running nice and smooth. Mm -hmm. Do you know the next size up is 35 people called a platoon. Now, what I do with my mm -hmm. businesses is I go two, four, eight, 35. Now, the most dangerous time in business is between 12 and 35. Mm -hmm. So between 12 and 35, you're too big to be small and too small to be big. Correct. All the things that used to work for your team, like like in before you're 12 people, you always call yourself a family. Mm -hmm. And you, you, mm -hmm. you say, oh, yeah, we're, yeah. Correct. We're, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, we work hard, we play hard, we go out and have pizza together. We, you know, we're all in it together. And you don't need any structures. We don't have any dashboards. We mm -hmm. don't have any, we don't have to have meetings. We don't have quarterly meetings we don't have bonuses we, we just make it up as we yeah, go right fam. that's great yeah. you can do that for up to about eight or nine people mm -hmm. 12 13 14 people now the business has split into two teams at 14 13 people you've got the original crew and you've got the new mm -hmm. hires um, or you've got the sales team versus the ops team so you've got two teams now um, and then 15 16 17 people if everyone works in the same location now you've got relationships so at about 16 yeah. or 17 people, you've got two people who hook up and they're mm -hmm. now having, they're now, we're not meant to know, but they, true. they seem to true. leave the office at the same yeah, time. Exactly. Right? <laughs> going in the same elevator. Going, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. true. So, so once you hit 35, you've got your SLT, your senior leadership team, and then you've got your, you know, teams of teams underneath reporting into the senior leadership mm -hmm. team. So you need to, it's very, very hard to get past 12. If you do go past 12, you've got to figure out how you're going to get to 35. Quick. Yeah, as quick as possible. I saw it once in three days. You know, I, I had an experience in my life back 
years back, once I had the meeting with my father and he brought me to his office and said, that's it, what? I said, now we're scaling fast. And I think you have a team inside of a team. Like you're creating a company inside of the company, which exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like once you start to, the relationship becomes stronger versus these. Yeah, but absolutely. even Microsoft is that. Like Microsoft is teams of teams. There are people who their job is to work on, you know, uh, this particular product there's mm-hmm. there, there's the head of this region there's the true, head of true you know there's the head of the region who also has like the head of um you know their cloud business and the head of their um office software business mm-hmm. and there's all these so they they have teams of teams mm-hmm. and really it's one of these things where once you get to a certain size you have to have the senior leadership team who manage the teams of teams and that's okay. that's just where mm-hmm. you end up but um, I recommend for most people, 90% of people, don't Stay. go past 12. It's more than enough. Keep under 12 people. Okay, another, what kind of revenue can a, a company of 12 people can? Well, it used to be that it was normally 100 grand per person was a good result mm-hmm. for a long time. So it used to be that if you could have 10 people doing a million, that was a great business, mm-hmm. stable business, and it would make some profit. But now that we live in the world of software, technology, global markets, AI, all of those sorts of things. I see businesses that regularly have two to three hundred thousand per employee, so ten people doing three million, uh-huh. um, and that's very profitable. Sometimes that's fifty percent profit margins, you know. So they do three million and they make one point five to two. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but to do that, you've got to be media, technology, and intellectual property very focused on scalable assets, digital assets. We will talk about now twenty-four assets. Mm-hmm. First of all, I love the name. <laughs> and what kind of message do you want it from this book? And what are the key highlights of it that you want people to really remember? So the book is about the idea that people are not productive, assets are productive. Mm-hmm. Right? So most sure. people think people are productive. It's assets that are productive. If you take two salesmen, one is selling real estate in Mayfair in London, mm-hmm. and the other one's selling real estate in Blackpool in northern northern England mm. this person in blackpool could be a better salesperson they could be way more like skilled. trained and skilled mm-hmm. but the mayfair person is going to make more money mm-hmm. right so it's the assets that give you the productivity not the skills not mm-hmm. the person if i have a salesperson who works at microsoft they're going to make more money than someone who works sure. with less assets yeah. so what we have to do as an entrepreneur is we have to build out the assets. We have to build a database. We have to build a brand. We have to build systems and processes. Mm-hmm. We have to build culture assets. An asset is anything that if I take all the people out of your business Stanton. and the asset's still there and it's doing something. Winning an award is actually an asset, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, if you have a restaurant and it wins a Michelin star, then o- it's going to be overnight. full yeah. for months. Sure. You can't get a booking. Mm-hmm. So that award will attract all the chefs, all the people, all the customers. Everyone wants to go because of the award. So that is an asset. Mm -hmm. If you write a book and the book becomes a best-selling book, that book is an incredible asset because if a 1,000 people a month buying the book, Mm -hmm. some of them want to work with the firm. They just pick up the phone or they email and they say, yeah, I want to work with this company. That book is is doing a Mm. norm. So the entrepreneur's job is to build assets and bring people in to sweat the assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so 24 assets there are 24 examples of the assets mm-hmm. and i i identified 24 categories of assets that the entrepreneur should focus on building mm-hmm. what is the most hidden asset that you see entrepreneurs usually don't look at 
a lot of entrepreneurs have intellectual property that could be very, very valuable, but they just take it for granted because they've known it for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So intellectual property is a methodology for how you achieve something. So for example, I know this sounds silly, but take McDonald's, the Big Mac Mm -hmm. is actually intellectual property. So you have got, Mm -hmm. they have a particular way of building the burger with the certain ingredients that it tastes. The cheese, the cucumber, the pickle. Three bits of bread, right? And two bits of beef. So they have created a special burger called a Big Mac and that is their intellectual property as to how they build a burger. Mm-hmm. It's different to how everyone else builds a burger. It's their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. There's a guy who wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And he built a seven steps of highly effective executives. Mm-hmm. And all over the world, companies buy the methodology. Sure. That's mm-hmm. intellectual property. He passed away many years ago. Mm-hmm. And he, the, even still, the companies are still buying seven habits of highly effective people because the intellectual property is there. Mm-hmm. So most entrepreneurs have valuable intellectual property, but they can't see it. They're too close to it. Cool. If we're, if we're talking about these days with the social media, mm-hmm. how can people really stand out with content? So standing out with content, it's very competitive and it's getting harder, right? Because AI is going to create 10 times more content in the year ahead. True. Um, someone like yourself, if you plug into certain AI, it can automatically turn everything you've previously done into new types of content and be ready to upload a thousand mm-hmm. new pieces. So it's going to get harder for people, but it's almost like you don't want to stand out. You want to connect. And I'll tell you why I say that. If I'm walking down the busy street here in mm-hmm. Dubai, who's going to stand out to me? Some idiot dressed as a giant purple dinosaur, True. right? I'm yeah. going to go, ah, oh, that irrelevant. guy, why is it? Mm-hmm. But it's irrelevant, True. right? He stands out, but who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think to yourself, oh, I know, I'll get a Ferrari. Well, in Dubai, everyone's got a Ferrari. True. Not, not special. So even all the things that people do to try and stand out, it's very, very hard to stand out mm-hmm. in those ways. So the purple cow thing is, mm, has to be relevant in a way. It's very hard now. Mm-hmm. But here's what does stand out. If I'm walking down a busy street in Dubai and I see my friend from 20 years ago mm-hmm. and we used to hang out all the time, And I look across the road and there's my friend. My brain, I don't know how it happens, but my brain goes, hey, look, there's your friend. Mm -hmm. I see them. Like, isn't it weird? There could be hundreds of faces around me, but I just see them out the corner of my eye. I spot my friend from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then what do I do? I literally walk across the busy street Mm -hmm. and I go, hey, how are you going? Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that happens is because of connection. It's not because my friends stood out. They didn't wear a big hat. They didn't wear a fancy outfit. They have a connection with me. The goal, the opposite of competition is connection. Mm-hmm. My children are not in competition with anybody, right? Mm-hmm. They have no true, competition true. because they have connection, right? There's nothing anyone else's kids can, can do to convince me that, yeah. that they're better. Uh-huh. Right? I have a connection. So what you're really trying to do is trying to build a connection with as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. You want to build the connection. You don't want to stand out. You sure, build the connection. A person with extremely low social media following now mm. comes in, comes to you and say, okay, I, whatever I hear from people is to push content out. Your advice now, there is no need now because like you're too, I, would, I don't want to say too late or too early into the game. No, it's, but it's, it's, it's getting harder. It's getting harder. It, it's like you can't, you can't turn up to the Formula One with a go-kart, mm-hmm. right? But unfortunately, 10 years ago, you could turn up with a go-kart and that was fast. And you fly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you're ahead of the game. Now, 
you really like there are some things you can still do three pieces of content on linkedin mm-hmm. every week that's going to actually work linkedin gives great organic reach sure. um putting some good quality content out is not a bad thing to do to build connection anyway but the only real way to get breakthrough now is to partner with people who already have the cut through so you have to mm-hmm. be in you have to somehow be in the orbit of the people who do have the cut through pull you up yeah mm-hmm. so you've got to find someone who's if you've got no followers you've got to find someone who's got five to ten thousand followers mm-hmm. and start working closer with them and start being in the orbit the problem is that every, and everyone's going to tell you publish three things a day do this this, uh-huh. this right mm-hmm. that was great but then ai came along yeah uh, exactly <laughs> everybody can everyone do can do it now true yeah and not only can everyone do it, the people who have already got momentum, they can just turn it up to, a, to, to 10 times where it was. Mm-hmm. So the people like you who've already got a podcast, you can take all of that podcast, use it to train an AI. It will produce more content that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take all your videos, put it through an AI. It'll split it up into one-minute reels, mm-hmm. and it'll just go... Right so, so the people who are already moving are going to move faster. Mm-hmm. The people who are starting are going to have a harder time starting mm-hmm. but that's okay anything that's hard is valuable true anything that's easy is not valuable mm-hmm. so people have to like one thing for everyone to know is that if it was easy everyone would do it and then it would cease to be valuable you got to stop looking for easy mm-hmm. right true it's, true. it's got to be hard you got to find things that mm-hmm. slap you in the face that's business that's how and it works with ai things now so a beginner can leverage it and a professional can leverage mm-hmm. it as well. How mm-hmm. good you leverage it is the, the thing. Is that the thing? I want to pivot a little bit to scaling. Mm-hmm. And the phases where a company grows mm-hmm. and when is the right time to scale and when is not to scale? Well, the right time is when you want to scale. You need to start by wanting it because it's not just some nice thing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to occupy all your time and energy mm-hmm. um, and your... Think about scaling. The phase one of the business is building a rocket that can fly. Okay. Phase mm. two is fueling that rocket up and launching it off mm. the platform. And think about it, a rocket takes a lot of energy just to get off the ground. Sure. Um, so in phase one, you're building something that can scale. So you're investing into things that you don't need yet. You're investing into creating mm. systems that you don't even need that system. You're creating a brand bigger than what you need you create like a, di- a diagram called the brand guidelines. Mm-hmm. And you don't need that yet, but you know you're going to need it when you scale. Sure. You have to do things like bring in a senior leadership team, even though you don't need a senior mm-hmm. leadership team. Maybe bring in a non-executive director. So you're getting ready to scale. And mm-hmm. then finally, you bring in some external capital, some debt or some investment. You plug that in and then boosh, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you get the thing going. What are the pillars that makes a business scalable? Digital assets is a big one. So those 24 assets, those are all scalable assets. So you need to do that. Uh, and it's everything from the financial forecast and the fin- business plan right through to formalizing intellectual property, protecting your brand name, mm-hmm. right through to having systems, having products and services, all of those sorts of things. Mm. So that you can essentially partner with company. Like you need to be in a position where you could partner with someone who has a million followers mm-hmm. and it would turn into business easily. Sure. So you've got to get yourself into that position in order to scale. Not all businesses have to scale, mm-hmm. right? Plenty of businesses can be a million a year and make profit and they're great and can live and work from anywhere and have a great life. 
but you don't scale it. Mm -hmm. You know, because scaling is going to be multiple territories, multiple markets, more products. products. Right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have products, markets, territories. You're going to do acquisitions. You're going to buy mm -hmm. competitors, buy companies. You're going to manage debt. You know, the truth is that there's very few companies that scale without you know having you know a half a million to a million of debt at least. Sure. You know, just at the beginning. In many cases, it's much more. Or you're going to take on equity investors and they're going to be a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. So, like, scaling is a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And the reason you scale is to hit, because it's so hard, once you've got into a scalable rhythm, then you're saleable. First, you're scalable, then you're saleable. Mm -hmm. So, once you prove that you're scalable, scalable someone comes along and sure. yeah, they give you a life changing amount of money for the business. But it's a pain in the ass. And the reason, the only reason they pay you tens of millions for a business is because it's horrible, <laughs> right? If it was easy, yeah, they'd do it themselves. Sure. They're mm -hmm. not going to buy a company for 20 million sure. you know, it's easy. if it's easy. A lot of entrepreneurs, they don't look at the financial part of the business. How important is the financial part and how, what kind of advice would you give entrepreneurs in terms of, should I invest in my business, everything that I have, or even from the returns that I get, and managing the financial risk that's associated with it. So I love to build financial models. Uh, I have there. There are plenty of young people who have a master's degree in finance, mm -hmm. and you can pay them fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, and they will build you an unbelievable Amazing model, mm -hmm. and they'll work with you to do it, so that you understand every single part of it. And they work with you. They interview you. They ask questions. You explain things. Then you start making adjustments, and you build this financial model. And it's like having a crystal ball mm -hmm. and you can just look at it and go, oh, okay. So in year three, we make 600 yeah. grand a year. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, what if we change this? Oh, now we make 700 grand a year. Oh, what if we change this? Oh, we dropped down to 400 mm -hmm. grand a year. What if we hire these people? Oh, that was a bad decision. Oh, that was a good decision. So you can build this financial model. Mm -hmm. That helps you to make a decision of, in most financial models, there'll be stuff that we call drawdowns. Yeah. Drawdowns is where a month where you lose a lot of money. So you've got to make these investments and you might have a three-month drawdown where you lose 40 grand, 60 grand, 100 grand, and then 60 grand, 40 True. grand, right? Mm -hmm. True. So you say, oh, okay, at that part, we need 200 grand uh, as investment capital mm -hmm. or debt. So then you go, okay, do I want to take my money and put it in? Do I want to take mm -hmm. the business's money and, and, and run it really lean? Do I want to get a debt funding? Do I want to get investment? So then you come in and, and look, at, sure, look at it from the I'm a big believer that you should talk to a CFO. Now, mm -hmm. it used to be that a CFO cost you hundreds of thousands a year. Mm -hmm. Today, you can get an interim CFO who charges you a grand a day. Mm -hmm. And you can have a meeting with them once a month. Sure. And they can talk you through. Sure. And, you can, and, and normally, an interim CFO is someone who is managed hundreds of millions of dollars uh, with their other companies. Mm -hmm. They know what the businesses look like. They've done mergers and acquisitions. I've got a great CFO. And he says, oh yeah, we did something like this. We did a takeover and we did this and we got funding from this private equity firm. And then they say, oh, this is how it all works and here's how to do it. Great. Now, mm -hmm. If I ask Daniel a question, since like you've involved in many businesses and passed through many businesses, if you will set up one business now, what will be? The biggest opportunity in the world right now is AI-enabled SaaS. So mm -hmm. software as a service is a really good, for the last 10 years, SaaS businesses have been good, scalable businesses. Mm -hmm. People log into a portal, they get access to some software, the software evolves and changes over time. So when you plug artificial intelligence into sure. the SaaS, 
now you've got something that's very, very valuable, delivers incredible, some incredible outcomes. It can be sold to someone for 30 or 40 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And it's scalable to people anywhere in the world. Now it's an advanced move. It's not an easy business. It's one of those business, it's a black belt move, but AI enabled SaaS is definitely scalable, valuable, you know, investable and mm-hmm. exitable. So, you know, look for, for me and my level that I want to play at, I think that's, that's, the- that's the game I'm focused on. I mm-hmm. think that's a, I think that's a great game to play. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's a black belt move. True. True. It's a black belt. Exactly. If I go back to the KPI, because it's a very interesting methodology and you work with a lot of people in it, mm. what were the challenges in Be- which self-belief is one. Okay. Self-belief is how they see themselves. So a lot of people just don't feel confident projecting themselves as a key person of influence. They want someone to come along and tap them on the shoulder and say, oh, by the way, you're ready to be an influential person mm-hmm. now. It's like you've got to tap yourself on the shoulder. True. Right. True. Um, and people want to feel confident and then do the thing. It doesn't work like that. You've got to do the thing and then you'll feel confident later. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that's one of the issues. Um, the other thing people, they want things to be fast and easy. Mm-hmm. Anything that's fast and easy is not valuable. It's True. just not valuable. If it was fast and easy, everyone would do it. Mm. And to be super successful in, in today's world, you need to be a key. Uh, You've got to be a key you person. Have to. Well, actually. Because I'll tell you why. Because when I speak to, I would say, old generations, old generation usually say, like, safe, keep under the radar, don't be super visible. When you're super visible, you understand this kind yeah. of mentality. Yeah, yeah. But it's opposite to words become a key person of influence. Once you've made your money, you can be invisible if you want to be invisible. <laughs> but you're not going to make money invisible now because yeah, you're up against people who've got a profile. True. Um, and they can raise money way faster. It used to be that you had to keep invisible to raise money. Now you have to have a profile, profile to raise to money. True. Um, but um, yeah, it's. It, I will just say one thing. You don't have to be a key person of influence, but you need a key person of influence on your team. So... So like, for example, if I was a 25-year-old starting a business today, I would go and find someone who's got a big reputation, big brand, and I'd Ah, I'd give them Mm -hmm. 25% of my company. Mm -hmm. I'd say, look, I'm going to work my ass off. You don't have to do anything, Mm -hmm. but you need to represent the business. We need to to have you as the key person of influence. Your name name is on the the website. You're a a director. Mm -hmm. You're a shareholder. And uh, when, which is a way of pulling them uh, out as well, pulling yeah. them with them. Yeah, once once a year, we want you to speak at our annual conference. Um, you know, so you give them the key things that we you know we want you to be on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we will work with you. Think about it like this: if you had a restaurant and you had Gordon Ramsay mm-hmm. on the on there, like true. it's going to be successful. Yeah, of true. course, of course, he wouldn't do that. But like mm-hmm. that as an example, as soon as there's a big name on on touch, actually, I'll tell you some mm-hmm. real life examples. Down the road here is the Nobu. They're doing a massive yeah, development. Mm-hmm, Chef yeah, Nobu, yeah. he doesn't know anything about building buildings. Yeah. He knows how to cut fish, true. right? But he's Correct. got such a great brand mm-hmm. of luxury and, high-end restaurants. Yeah, so then they're making the Chef the Nobu uh, resort. Mm-hmm. Correct. Chef Nobu is getting paid a ton of money, I'm guessing, to be the face of true. that. And it's a developer. It'll be a construction company. Mm-hmm. True. So you can bring in... You actually, even if you don't have a brand, you can bring in someone who's got a big brand. And leverage. In KPI or the key person of influence, you talked about legacy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people talk about legacy. These days, I want to leave a legacy. legacy. But how 
can people build the legacy or building a business or a brand that can really outlast them? Like, what is the component? To it? The component is digital assets. Digital assets, because if you think about anything that's digital, if I if this video right, mm -hmm. it transcends time. Mm -hmm. We record it today, but it's available forever. Sure. Right? It transcends space because we recorded in Dubai, but someone's watching it in Egypt. Someone's watching mm, it true. in Paris. And it transcends wear and tear and decay. If a million people or a billion people watch this, it's just the same quality. Mm -hmm. So it transcends time, space, and decay. Now, what are humans limited by? Time, space, yeah, and decay. Mm -hmm. right? true, true. So if you want to create something, like the ultimate original digital asset was a book. Mm -hmm. People who wrote a book 100 years ago or 1,000 years exactly. ago, they actually still, in some with cases, us. Are with us, mm -hmm. right? We can see their thoughts. So putting yourself on digital assets is part of legacy. But remember, here's my th other thought though. Legacy is to pass on, right? It's passing on, you pass forward. So a lot of people think of legacy as being remembered, which is passing back, right? So you, uh. want, you want future generations to remember you, but legacy is passing on. It's, it's saying you have the brand, you uh, have the reputation, okay. right? So the people who build the biggest legacies are the ones who say, it's not about me. It's me so, passing as much forward as I can. True. The people who have the smallest legacies are the ones who want to be remembered. Mm -hmm. True, 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 true. For entrepreneurs now, what kind of, if they're starting, like mm -hmm. they're starting mm -hmm. their career, what kind of advice or things that you want them to focus on is really start to build their, I would say, personal brand or what kind of things? Because you said something very interesting in the beginning, which is, Everybody needs to learn about pitching. Mm. So what kind of advice would you give? The in dynamics of the environment is changing so much. Yeah. But if they you want them to focus on a couple of things. What pitching is a great one. So pitching is everything from how you introduce yourself right through to a scheduled pitch where you invite mm. people to see a pitch. Young people, no one's going to do this. I'm going to give you some advice. I'll give them advice, yeah, but, but no one will do this. I'll tell you what no Why? one will do. Yeah. Here's, what they, here's what I want them to do, but mm. they won't. Mm -hmm. Get your phone and record a passionate pitch where you try and enroll someone in what you're doing, okay. right? Mm -hmm. And then watch back and see where you could have improved. And you'll, you'll hate it, right? You hate mm -hmm. looking at it. But then you watch it back and say, oh, like no one's going to do this. Do it again, right? True. Watch it back. See if one way you could improve. Do it again. Because when you, f let's say you go out to uh, a networking, a, a networking event, event mm -hmm. and you meet someone who's the perfect person, they say, oh, tell me a bit about you. And you go, oh, uh, I'm working on something. It's a new thing. True. Right? You just mm -hmm. blew it. So make sure in the next three years, you're going to be pitching a thousand times anyway. You, you are. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's either going to be that you do a thousand bad pitches and you mm -hmm. end up nowhere. nowhere. Or you do a thousand great pitches and you end up on a stage, on a podcast, on a video, on a TV show, on a radio show. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that um, you're ready for the moment. Be ready for that mm -hmm. pitching moment. So yeah. pitching is extremely important. I love this. Let's move towards where we are now, mm. which is the era of AI. Mm. A lot of people heard about it. A lot of people heard about it and know how to handle it. And a lot of people heard about it and don't know what, can, what kind of possibilities AI can do in the realm of entrepreneurship. So for entrepreneurs, what... AI can do for them? Content creation, sales, what? 
let's start bigger than that. Let's yeah. go real big. Mm-hmm. Every every hundred years, there's one or two general purpose technologies that change the world. So the combustion engine, mm-hmm. electricity, steam power, the printing press, the internet, AI. Right, AI is what's mm-hmm. called a general purpose technology. A general purpose technology means it affects everything. Mm-hmm. Right? If you take if you take a general purpose technology, everything changes. So every business at every level, from the biggest corporations to the littlest mm-hmm. startups, they're impacted by AI. And every part of society, from people who are starting out to billionaires, True. are impacted by AI. So this is what general purpose technologies mm-hmm. do. They transform the whole game. They take the whole like we're all yeah. playing the we're all playing Monopoly, mm-hmm, and true. then boom, we're Done. playing. Now it's Scrabble, guys. True, uh, it's a whole new game is played. So here's the exciting thing: every industry is up for grabs right now. You could change any. You could pick any industry and go and attack it mm-hmm. uh, with an AI play. Every all the money is going to change hands. Where we think of the money, it's going to move to somewhere else because AI is going to force it to move to somewhere mm-hmm. else. So this is an incredible technology that is doing human level intelligence for free everywhere in the world or almost for free everywhere mm-hmm. in the world. It totally changes the nature of the economy, how we get paid, the value of labor, the geographical locations that things can happen. Could be a threat as well. What uh, of course it's yeah. a threat. Mm-hmm. It's a massive threat. True. <laughs> yeah. if, by the way, if you've got nothing right now, it's not a threat. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's an opportunity. Uh-huh. If you've got millions, yeah. You, uh, you should exactly. watch out, mm-hmm. right? Because someone's going to come and break True. your basket of eggs. True. So it's a massive threat and it's a massive opportunity all at once. It's a big sword swinging through the, through, through the economy. It's got either going to chop your business down or it's going to be the thing that actually accelerates you. Mm-hmm. So you have to get on the right side of it. I'll tell you the biggest threat of AI. Yeah. AI has these two superpowers. One superpower is to get you to consume more than you intended to consume. And the other superpower is to get you to create more than you ever could create. Now, if you're an idiot, you're going to consume and consume and consume. You're going to sit there on TikTok, and scrolling TikToks, watching stuff. other yeah. people creating True. stuff, right? And you're going to sit there and go, oh, you know, I'm going to spend all my time watching this, playing computer games. I'll watch another Netflix show, mm. right? It's like, fine, but don't complain when someone else is doing, True. don't complain about wealth inequality. Mm-hmm. Don't complain about income inequality. True. If you're sitting there watching Netflix, if you're sitting there watching YouTube, if you're sitting there scrolling TikTok, mm-hmm. right, then don't you dare complain about someone who's earning more money and because, paying their taxes yeah, because you're just running down this consumption rabbit hole, mm-hmm. right? Like, like a pig eating too much, right? But content. And then on the flip side, AI has the ability to make you create, 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 create. So it's going to let you set up, you know, you come up with an idea. The AI writes the business plan. The mm-hmm. AI creates the financial. It creates product ideas. It creates customer avatars. It helps you with the advertising. It helps you create search engine optimization content. Helps you to recruit your team. Helps you to write your pitch. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, boom, 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 boom. Right? The AI is just like this free employee that just does mm-hmm. stuff for you. But you have to make a decision. Do you want to be on the consumption side or the creation side? Because you can't play both. Both. Mm-hmm. And the, crea- the creator side makes the money and the consumption side is going to go to zero, mm-hmm. right? Because people are going to fill their head and their time with nothing of value. True, true. Love that. Daniel, passion. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, okay, I need to find my passion and then work on the thing that's 
aligned with my passion. Mm-hmm. But there's something called like the passion and is there a problem that I'm solving? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, I can have a passion playing guitar, but mm-hmm. uh, then what? Yeah. So can you tell us about this? Yeah, so entrepreneurs have to make compromise. So it's got to be a compromise. It's not going to be pure passion, mm-hmm. right? I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to make a compromise. Even if you play guitar, you got to make compromise because um, you have to play songs people want to hear, right? And if you mm-hmm. don't, you're not going to make any money from it. Mm-hmm. So there's three things that have to compromise and it's, it's difficult, but you have to do this. One is your passion. Mm-hmm. And these are the things you love doing naturally. You do them for free if you could, right? These are, this is like, you know, things that give you emotional internal yeah, fulfillment in fulfillment a way. Mm-hmm. you feel good dopamine serotonin mm-hmm. all that right so there's the passion then there is the problem that you solve that people desperately want you to solve mm-hmm. right and then there's the stuff people are willing to pay for mm-hmm. so you have passion problem payment okay. now if you go to the extreme you block out the other two the extreme of how much you could earn the most money probably isn't what you're passionate about and probably isn't the problem mm-hmm. that you can solve the best. The thing where you're just solving problems for other people, then it's probably not getting you paid and it's not, true. you mm-hmm. lose your passion for it. So you're trying to find a blend. You're trying to go to the middle where they all come together and overlap. But in the middle, you're making compromises. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a, a silly example. I love snowboarding. Snowboarding's great. I would snowboard all the time, but no one's willing to pay me uh, for that, right? Mm-hmm. But here's what I do do. Once a year, I take all my, I, I take 40 clients okay. and we go to the snow together and we call it ski person of influence, uh-huh. right? And we have a great time bombing down the mountain and talking business. And that is something I look forward to, right? And okay. it's, it's ah, not, got it. it's not mm-hmm. my business, but my business does include some snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So I've included some passion in, in what I do. I've, I've brought uh-huh. the ingredient into the broth. You can do it regularly, but it's you it, include it in a way. Yeah, no one's paying me to do it, but it's, in, but it's part of my, it makes my business more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So it's an ingredient in the, in the dish, but it's not the main sure, dish. I love yeah. that. So that's an example. So you can bring things in. You can also um, sort of do a little bit of this, but a little bit of that. The other thing too, don't underestimate, people can get passionate about anything if they're getting paid. Yeah, true. Right? Mm-hmm. I've seen people true. go, oh, I'm so passionate about construction. Yeah, because, yeah, because you, you, you want a, yeah, a $10 million contract. True. Of course you're true. passionate. Yeah. There is, you have a statement that I love, build advisors around you rather than having or paying for a PhD. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is the idea that business is a team sport. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, some of my clients, they came to me and they said, oh, one of my clients came to me and said, oh, should I do a PhD? Mm-hmm. I said, no. Or doing an MBA yeah. or, or, I said, or, yeah. Just set up an advisory board and bring an MBA and a PhD onto True. your advisory board. I said, now you've got That's one right. today. True. Right. You don't have to wait three years to, to have this, like, just get the person on the, and then if the business changes, get a different True. PhD. True, 100%. So just create an advisory yeah. board. How much were you going to spend on a PhD? Oh, about a hundred grand, right? Well, pay these people fifteen hundred per meeting. You can have done. you can have ten meetings a year, True. right? One meeting a month will cost you eighteen grand. That leaves you eighty grand worth of change. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, correct, hundred you percent. Know? So, a lot of people just want to look good. They want to update their LinkedIn. Oh, I got an MBA mm, from Harvard. Harvard right? Exactly. It's like True. it's like I would rather have an MBA from Harvard, Harvard who comes and joins my advisory board as opposed to, True. yeah. But you're a type of person that supports if your kids come to you, should I go to university or go learn a skill? What are you going to tell them? I, 
depends why I would have to look at why do they want to go to university? Mm -hmm. Are they absolutely, have they got a really fixed idea as to this is what I really want to do and I need this degree. Like I can't be a vet without, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. in which case mm -hmm. fine. But if they're saying, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to go a hundred grand in debt and go mm -hmm. to a university. Yeah. Then, hold right, on then I'll here. say, well, hold know, on here. let's get you an apprenticeship. <laughs> hold on here. I want my kids doing an apprenticeship more True. than a, a that. Like I'd rather, I'd rather that um, they, like they're not going to earn anything at university anyway. I'd rather that they work for free mm -hmm. at somebody to learn. To, to learn the skills. And you can take, here's the other thing. You can take short courses now. I don't know, mm -hmm. like True. some of the universities, most of the universities, they have these six-week courses, mm -hmm. Introduction to Private Equity. There's a course called MBA Essentials. Mm -hmm. So you can do the Harvard University MBA Essentials course for a, a thousand or 2,000 bucks. Six mm -hmm. weeks, boom! Stop, here's all done. the here's all the top level bits, and here's your LinkedIn field, right? There, yeah, you put them. <laughs> so it's like I would rather that they're working, getting real life experience, and taking these little short courses online because even than... even the universities are mostly online now. So it's crazy. because a lot of like cultures where we live in, uh, education is part of a cultural thing. So that's why it's a, a, a big debate. I now. get that. Go I get that. To university or yeah, I'm I'm not against it. Um, it's contextual, mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to do much for you, but it, it, you know, it's, it's going to depends on the objective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's got to be, look, there are some people I know who are from a very large family business. Part of the family business is that you go to a top university, you get the qualification because that allows you to come in at a senior level and people will accept you at that level. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know people who like, it would be unfair for the kids to be in mm -hmm. their twenties and sitting in on senior meetings if they didn't have a degree from Harvard, sure. right? Yeah. So I get that. There mm -hmm. are certain contexts where I understand true, how true. it has to happen. Being an entrepreneur, reaching a level, and then becoming an investor in other business. Mm. How this transition goes? Like you build a company mm. and you kept building companies, 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 then, okay, now it's time to- Entrepreneurs are terrible investors. Yeah. We're, we're so bad, <laughs> we're so bad. The, the reason we're bad investors is because we can see the positives in everything, mm -hmm. right? I've invested in some dumb stuff because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sure that'll yeah. work, right? Mm -hmm. My wife is a great investor because she always looks for what could go wrong. Oh, okay. She's got more of a realistic mindset. Mm -hmm. So she, when she looks Murphy's at- Murphy's the where it's gonna hit, yeah. She's looking at something and go, this could fail, this could fail. I'm like, don't worry about yeah. it, let's go, yeah. right? And the, the thing is, I feel like I could make that business successful, but, it, but I'm not going to be the one who's running it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I need to be very skeptical. I'm not a skeptical person by nature. Mm. I'm easily fooled, uh -huh. right? You tell me- Optimistic. Yeah, you yeah. tell me that this building is going to take off to go to the moon. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> so I'm too optimistic. So for me personally, most of my investments are in dumb stuff like managed mm -hmm. funds mm -hmm. and we hold property in, mm -hmm. in like AAA rated places. Mm -hmm. So the boring, boring, boring mm -hmm. stuff is where I like to put money. Occasionally, I get super excited by a, an, an entrepreneur or technology. I run it past my wife if she says, I pay attention. She's my tuning fork, yeah. right? So depending on if she thinks it's an idiot thing, I, I trust her. And if she says, no, I think actually you might be onto something, that's like a big green flag, right? <laughs> uh, so I've made some very good investments yeah. as well. So like um, I invested into a very early AI company that's now worth hundreds of millions. Mm -hmm. And um, when I invested, it was very like, it was almost worth nothing. And uh, so that's been 
yeah, that's been obviously. But a do you run. follow the in- investment philosophy? I only invest in things that I, you know, I invest or... things that I understand, mm-hmm. and I also try and understand myself. I try to be self-aware and say, Daniel, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like when it comes to investing, you're too gullible. Mm-hmm. You're good at business, mm-hmm. but you're too easily fooled when it comes like to decks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I I stay away completely. I stay away from trading. Mm. Right, I know myself. I'm not a good trader, right? Because I want I want it to work, and I think that I can. I'm the type of person who I want to influence things. Oh, okay. Right? Mm. So if I invest into a trade, I want to be able to. Yeah. You know, I want to somehow <laughs> get it up. Yeah. yeah. Right. I want to do something. So I don't want to sit back and watch what happens. Mm-hmm. I want to have an influence over what happens. But you're, which means you're always active investor. Like when you invest in something, yeah, you, you're an active. My best investments, like even the AI company, I did things to help push oh, that AI oh, okay. company for mm-hmm. just the introductions and, and little little bits and bobs. Um, so I want to be able to feel like I understand it enough to push it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, I shouldn't be the one talking about investing mm-hmm. because I've had terrible ones mm-hmm. that have gone to zero. I've had some great that have been ones. super successful. Yeah. I don't have a great formula. I'm not a very clever investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm an idiot in that space. But that has also, the, the, the best investments have been AAA rated property yeah, and, and yeah. uh, S&P 500 mm-hmm. tracker funds. Yeah. If we look at your career, what, lesson or a failure that happened to you that really like oh i will always remember yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a lesson of course yeah, the lesson would be about getting teams into alignment and keeping teams in alignment having difficult conversations mm-hmm. when you, when you feel that the alignment is lost you have to have the difficult conversation mm-hmm. so if there's someone in your life that you are linked to whether it's a marriage, a friendship, or a business partnership, you can feel on a scale of one to 10 where, where the alignment is. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 is where you can be a mind reader, mm-hmm. right? You know what they're thinking. They know what you're thinking. You can say one word. Like you could be in a meeting. If you've got 10 out of 10 alignment, you could be in a meeting. You glance at them and you're both thinking the same yeah, thing. Yeah, true, true. Right? And, mm-hmm. you, and, and you might just go like this with your hands. Mm-hmm. Like, like I've been in meetings where we're we're being pitched and my business partner's here and I'll just kind of cross my hands slightly over the top and it means uh, we're it means we're not fucking doing yeah, it. True, true, right? true, true, true. Right? And he yeah. knows and I know, mm-hmm. right? So it's like that just the slightest little shift and we pick up on it. True. You see the basketball teams, ten out of ten alignment, they can throw the ball behind their back. They know the players there. Exactly. Right? They heard uh, the squeak of the yeah, shoe. True. Right? However it happened magically. But then it drops down to a five and you just you're just fumbling with each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then it drops, and from five, it easily goes to a four, and from four, it's down to a three. The trick with all partnerships, like all business involves people, mm-hmm. and people need alignment. So when you feel it come down below an eight, you have, you a, have, you have to have difficult conversations. You have to say, hey, look, I get the feeling that we're just not as aligned as we could be. What do you want out of this? What do you, what, what's driving you at the moment? What's, what are you struggling with? What are you frustrated by? Mm-hmm. What's going on for you? Um, and then you need to sort of say, like, in most cases, when we want something, we hold on to it really tight. Mm-hmm. There needs to be these moments where you just let go and say, hey, look, something has to shift. How do you want this to be? Right? Let's, let's get back into alignment around this. Like, let's not get so aggressive sure. about it. Let's not hold on so tightly. Let's re- refigure out. One the of the most interesting lessons or uh, guests shared with us, like, if we're looking at the future, what's going to be your goal? 
like personally mm-hmm. yeah. and professionally. That's that's an alignment question. Yeah, what do you want? Do you want a lifestyle or do you want performance? Do you want to pull money out or do you want to invest money back True. in? Um, do you want this thing to grow doubling every year, mm-hmm. but we hate our lives? Or do you want to double every two years, but mm-hmm. we can manage it a bit more easily? So you've got to figure those sorts of things out. What do you want? Um, the other big lesson, the other big, big lesson, this one you're not going to like. No one mm-hmm. likes this one. This is a horrible lesson. Business is not fair. Mm-hmm. And you have to stop expecting it to be fair. And there's one thing that people want to be fair that's not fair. People say, if I do good work, if I deliver value, I want to get paid. Not how business nah. works. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll explain. The airlines, right? The, the, the airplanes, mm-hmm. the airlines, they deliver incredible value. They fly a piece of metal through mm-hmm. the air safely. They have pilots, they have customer service, they have safety, they have capital investment, they manage billions of dollars worth of debt. They get your suitcase out the door as fast as they can. Mm. They work when it's raining or snowing or sunny. They, like, they do True. amazing value. They get 5% profit margin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's not fair. And then Rolex watches, they don't do anything. True. They have a, a, a product that you can copy exactly. you can perfectly copy a rolex for 500 bucks 100%. and mm. they sell it for 10,000 sure right? and you're on a waiting list terrible mm-hmm. customer mm-hmm. service you're on a waiting list you can't get it you can't get what you, you have want a couple of days to come pick it up yeah boom that's yeah, it true. Mm. now if i push a button and i say we get rid of all airlines everyone would freak out and if i push a button that says we get rid of all of rolex watches people go oh whatever mm-hmm. all right fine most people don't care so the airline delivers value but doesn't make profit. Rolex does something silly but makes ton of profit. It's not fair. But the way that business works is that you either generate huge demand Volume. and can constrain supply mm-hmm. or you generate amazing supply but you don't have much demand. All the profit in the business is just demand and supply. Mm-hmm. Right? And people don't want it to be that simple. They want it to be complicated. They want it they want business to be way more complicated. But the truth is Business is a game of demand and supply. If there is one of these tigers mm-hmm. and there's 10 people who want it, exactly. the price of the tiger goes up. Regardless, if everyone thinks it's stupid, if there's one and two I people bidding so. for it, the price is going up. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not fair. It's demand and supply. What's your goals? Very simple. Mm-hmm. I, enjoy, I enjoy playing the game. So my goal is to just enjoy playing the game. I'm not trying to get anywhere. I don't worry about the outcomes. You think about, you think about someone who loves going to the gym, they're going to be fit. Mm-hmm. You think about someone who wants to be fit but hates going to the gym, they're not going to mm-hmm. be fit. For me personally, I love developing entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact. I love creating technology products that add, like, do amazing things for our customers. Uh, I love playing the game of business. I love writing books about business. Mm-hmm. I love having podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's about doing the day-to-day things that I, I love that you're flying out today and even coming to the podcast. Of course, yeah, of course. So, I would have moved my yeah. flight. <laughs> so the, for me, it's all about my goal is to enjoy it. My goal is to do the things I enjoy doing and to and just enjoy the moment. To, but do you have this work-life balance? That yeah. Yes and no. It's like a pendulum. Sometimes, mm-hmm. I, sometimes it's broken. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's too far this way, and sometimes it's too mm-hmm. far this way. Um, 
you know, for me, it's not a work-life balance. It's a work-life pendulum. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got to recognize when it swings it's too far too this far way. Out. And I go, I'm that putting my bad. family in risk mm -hmm. because I'm not seeing enough of the family, right? Or I'm putting my health at risk because mm -hmm. I'm not, right? And then I need to swing that pendulum back the other way. But mm -hmm. sometimes I go, hey, wait a second. You know, this is too, I'm, I'm too relaxed. I'm too sure. calm. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not pushing myself hard enough. Mm -hmm. So it's a work-life pendulum. The goal is really to try and find, be better at recognizing when it needs to swing mm -hmm. back before it swings too far. Really? Love yeah. that. Do you have a hidden talent or a skill that nobody knows? <laughs> I play, I play. Uh, I wouldn't call any of them a talent. I write books, but uh, everyone knows that. Yeah. Uh, I never expected you to ask that question. If it's a hidden talent, it's yeah. hidden from me. <laughs> you like cooking. Oh, you know you what? Like I, singing. Sales. I'm good at sales. Yeah. I'm really good at sales. You put me, I, you put me in front of customers. It's I done. Can, I make, I make sales, <laughs> I, and I love sales. I, I love, love sales. I love sales. I love the whole sales process. I love one-to-one -one sales. But pitching is also a sales pitching, process. Pitching, yeah. pitching. I love, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There is a quick fire question. Oh dear. Yeah. So are you ready? All right. I don't do anything quick fire, but anyway. <laughs> you are a morning. You have a morning routine or an evening routine. I have three little kids, uh, oh, okay. so mornings, mornings and evenings is, is getting the kids up and ready for yeah. school and getting the kids to bed. It's not about me, but it's about making sure. Mo most mornings, it's about getting the family out the mm -hmm. door and ready. Yeah. One piece of advice you wish more entrepreneurs know: uh, everything's downstream from lead generation. Mm -hmm. A habit that has contributed most to your success: weekly sales, weekly like talking to customers, uh -huh. talking to customers and listening to customers. If you could have dinner with any of three people, living or dead, who would they? Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. He's doing incredible things at the moment. Um, Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, mm. the first two just hit me like like Done. a bolt of lightning. <laughs> yeah, uh, I see. I'm, well, I'm thinking I want to... Um, there's a woman called Lynn Twist who wrote a book called The Soul of Money, and mm -hmm. she's really good at understanding the bigger, deeper picture. I'd love to have yeah. dinner with her. A person who influenced you the most in your life? Uh, well, all my mentors, John, this mm -hmm. guy called Mike Harris, who built three multi-billion pound businesses mm -hmm. and I was mentored by him. Um, uh, my wife, right? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes she influences me in things <laughs> I don't want to do, but she's good at it. Uh, and, but, but in general, my, my life got a lot better when I got my wife. Mm. So, mm -hmm. so she has steered me in, she's always steered me in Alliance. the best direction. Yeah. A favorite city to live in? Well, I, I'm loving Dubai. Um, I mm -hmm. love my home in London. Mm -hmm. um, and London is a great city and will always be a great city. Yeah. But Dubai is a frontier city right now. And the Absolutely. energy, the so, energy so we'll here. So we'll see is, you more here. Oh, yeah, I'll be here more. I love that. What's your life biggest regret? Poorly handled business breakup. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're a tea or a coffee person? Coffee. Beach or mountains? Mountains, snowboarding in winter, beach, summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite cuisine? Italian. Oh, favorite color? Blue. Favorite car brand? Well, I've, I've always had BMWs. Mm. I've always had BMWs. Mm -hmm. But but not because I'm passionate about them. They just do the work. Yeah. You know, like family the car. BM is a BM. Do you know, out of all the sports cars that I've driven, one of my favorite cars, and this will, this will make your mm. listeners vomit. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite cars is a little two series convertible BMW, mm. right? Because the you, Z1 or? Uh, no, no, just a, just a basic mm -hmm. convertible little two series. Mm -hmm. It's zippy and fast. You don't care if you hit a speed bump. Oh, yeah. right? Do you know that, <laughs> do you, 
all of your listeners, they want to have a Lambo. They want to have a Ferrari. Yeah, uh-huh. The truth is, the whole time you're in a Lamborghini or a Ferrari, your ass is puckered up, right? And you're freaking out. Yeah. I, I know I've got friends of mine that reverse their Lamborghini out the driveway. Bang, they knock they knock the rear vision mirror yeah, off the side because it sits out true, so wide. Eight thousand euros yeah. later, <laughs> right? Just <laughs> done. But in my little BMW two series, yeah. I fly around I'm London. Done. I don't care I'm where sure I park. What would happen? Yeah. I'm, I'm, my my experience of that car is enjoyment. Yeah. Like I have enjoyment. Same as all my watches. Mm-hmm. So your favorite watch? Brand. My favorite watch, of all the nice watches I've got, my favorite watch is a Rolex Explorer. Uh-huh. Right? It's a super basic. It looks nice with a tuxedo. It looks great if you're camping. Casually, you, you can you can be casual. True. Nobody wants to rip it off your wrist, mm-hmm. right? So I won't wear most of my expensive watches in London anymore. Oh, I, I, yeah, I'll wear true. a nice watch in in Dubai because yeah. you're safe in Dubai. True. But strangely, there's a theme that I have noticed, which is the most extreme possessions don't bring you joy. Mm-hmm. It's actually the eight out of ten that brings you joy, not the ten out true, of ten. True. Because when it's ten out of ten, you're curious about it. You want to protect it. You feel you too true. much energy. Yeah. Too much. There's too much going on mm-hmm. around it. Um, it's too. It, it attracts too much attention, mm-hmm. and it and it's too strange. Strangely, the eight out of ten, like the Rolex Explorer, mm-hmm. I don't care if I bang it. Uh, true. All right. Mm-hmm. The the BMW two series, I don't care yeah, if so, if it scratches, it scratches. Yeah. Fine. I don't, you know, it's fine. Correct. I'm just enjoying it. So it's interesting for your listeners, the thing that you think of as the extreme, like even a big boat, 100 foot plus mm-hmm. is actually, it's too painful to take it out and bring it back. And then you need <laughs> three or four people and all this sort of stuff. A 60 foot boat, you, you literally you have one, pers- it, one person whose job is skippering it or whatever. You're, you're going to enjoy that way more than a 100 footer. True, true. I, I love your perspective on things. What's an alpha? Alpha is that you have an image of yourself that is your best self and you're trying to get towards that. And you, may, you accept yourself as you are, but you also accept yourself how you could be and you're doing the best that you can do and you're holding yourself to a high standard. You're being brave, getting out of your comfort zone. You're having fun, looking for the juice of life mm-hmm. and you're making a positive impact in the lives of people around you. What would be the last message you want to leave the audience? Uh, this is the most incredible time in history to be an entrepreneur. This is the most amazing time. You can access global markets. There is so much money on this planet. People have tons of money that they're looking to invest in things. This is the time where an idea can go around the world at light speed. You can have a team of people who could be in the Philippines, could be in Europe, could be in America. You could have a global team all working together on an idea. You could publish books, publish media, publish content. You could create software. This is the most incredible time mm-hmm. in history. There is no other time in history that you want to swap for, True. right? Don't be sitting there going, oh, they had it better in the this in the 50s. No, they didn't, mm-hmm. right? We've got it better now. This is the moment. So don't waste this moment. It may, not, it may change, mm-hmm. but this is, the, this is the most incredible moment where anyone can do something extraordinary. We have a tradition. Oh dear. It's called the Alpha Talks Memoir. You're going to tip a bucket of water on me? <laughs> it's easier than that. So this tradition is what the Alpha guest, he will do three things. Number one, he will write the experience, his experience in the Alpha Talks show. The second is write a question to the coming Alpha oh, guest. Oh, I like it. They, they won't, he or she won't know that you wrote the question, but it's a way of connecting. I like to it. Each other, which means you will answer a I question. I love it. I love it. 
And the third one, who do you recommend to be on the Alpha Talks oh, podcast? That's how I got here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so are you ready for the question? I'm ready. So, okay. Are you stressed in your current? Mm, in your current? Okay. Are you stressed now? And how do you cope with stress? I'm not, I'm not stressed. This week in Dubai, oh my goodness, have I just done like, I've done nine speak engagements, four podcasts, I've done all this stuff, right? I hosted a boat party, uh, I, like I've, I've had dinner everywhere, I've stayed in three hotels in a week, went to the Abu Dhabi Formula One, no right? Way. It's been the most crazy thing. <laughs> a week. Um, so I'm tired, yeah. I need to sleep, I need to stop Six for a minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I don't get stressed. Look, here's what I say to myself. My shoulders are broad, give me more. Mm. I say my- But I, it's a mindset actually. My mindset is this, I'm not running a country. Mm -hmm. There are people my age who are prime ministers and presidents and generals of an army. I'm not doing that. Sure. No one dies if I make a wrong decision, mm. right? Uh, stop taking myself too seriously. In 50 years after I'm dead, no one will know what, what like mm, forget about mm. it, right? Um, so my shoulders are broad, give me more, mm -hmm. give me more. Right? I'm built for this. <laughs> Do you know your brain, if you say I'm really stressed, your brain will go, oh, really, am sure. I? And if you say my shoulders are broad, give me more, I'm built for this. Then your brain goes, okay, cool. You can take it. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you with us today. Likewise. And I'm sure next time when you come to Dubai, we'll have another one. That'll be excellent. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. That wraps another inspiring episode of today's show. I hope that this episode has ignited your inner alpha and left you feeling inspired motivated and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. Remember, alphas aren't born, they're made. It isn't about dominating others. It's about embracing your authenticity, leading with integrity and making a positive impact on the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Alpha Talks on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow alphas. Also connect with us on social media at Safer Hakim. Share your thoughts, insight, and stories of personal and business growth with us. Let's create a movement of alphas supporting one another. The world needs more alphas like you exactly. Until next time, stay bold, stay driven, and stay alpha.